0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to Strong Christian Female. And before we get started, I just want to give you a heads up. If you're like washing dishes or driving around in your car, please continue to do so. But if you're at home and you have a few minutes, maybe you do these for some quiet time in the morning, maybe grab a pencil today. And you may want to jot a few things down. The reason is, is if you don't know this information in the depth that I hope to go into, albeit quickly, you're going to probably want to follow up with some some reading on your own, or at least some of the resources I list, you might want to look them up. So I just wanted to give you a heads up on that. So let's dive in today. I'm going to start with an excerpt from Oswald Chambers. I don't know if you are familiar with Oswald Chambers. He's a fantastic resource. He's he's since gone to be with the Lord. But there was a book created by actually one of his students, I believe, who kept really exacting notes. Um, Oswald actually never wrote the book that he's famous for. His student actually did based on sermonettes he would give. And by sermonettes, I mean, they're very short, but they're so saturated with a wealth of just spiritual insight. It's worth getting one of these. Most Christians I know for a long time had one of these, at least when I was a kid, like my, the, my parents' generation had one. It's called My Utmost for His Highest. My Utmost for His Highest. This is an excerpt that was actually sent to me by a good friend of mine on, I believe it was December 8th, could have been the 6th, I'll have to look that up, in case you go to look for it online, it always pulls that day's, um, my utmost highest, <laughs> that day's scripture reading, or basically a little, again, sermonette you can do during your quiet time, they're written a bit formal, I think there are some versions that have been made a little more modern, they're not like Shakespearean days formal, But they are proper, and so some people get a little thrown off by the speech, although it's so eloquent, sometimes it's just worth reading. It's, again, not as bad as maybe a King James version of the Bible, somewhere between, but I did take a little bit of leeway and just tweak a few sentences, flip a few things around so that it made more sense in the way we talk today. So first, I'm going to read that. And then I'm going to jump in and explain the depth of what he's saying. Because what he says comes with an assumption that you kind of know the depth of what he's talking about. And unfortunately, a lot of us haven't done the research that he did, or even at that time, people read their Bibles over and over and over again. So there's this assumption going with it of a level of understanding of the Word of God. And I just don't want to assume that, because a lot of us just haven't had good teaching. So let's jump into that. Then I'm going to ricochet into what we're talking about and expand on it. And you guys, I'm I'm gonna be honest, it's so good. And I and I'm and I'm it's just so good. It's just this revelation of God. And it's worth hanging in there for it. Okay. So this excerpt is actually called My Rainbow in the Cloud. In Genesis 9:13, it says, I set my rainbow in a cloud and it shall be for the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. It's God's will that all people should be in right standing with him. His covenants are designed for this exact purpose. People ask, well, why doesn't God save me? He has. He has accomplished and provided for your salvation, but you have not yet entered into a relationship with him. People ask, well, why doesn't God do everything we ask? He has done it. The point is, Will you step into the covenant relationship? All the great blessings of God are finished and complete, but they are not mine until I enter into the relationship with him on the basis of his covenant. Waiting for God to act is fleshly unbelief. It means that you have no faith in him. I wait for him to do something in me so that I may trust in that. But God won't do it because that is not the basis of the God and man relationship. Man must go beyond the physical body and feelings in his covenant with God, just as God goes beyond himself in reaching out with his covenant to man. It is a question of faith in God, a very rare thing. Often, we only have faith in our feelings. Our stance is, I don't believe God until he puts something tangible in my hand so that I know I have it. When I have it, I can say, now I believe. There's no faith exhibited in that. God says, look to me and be saved. Isaiah forty five twenty two, When I have really transacted business with God on the basis of his covenant, letting everything else go, there is no sense of personal achievement. There is no human ingredient at all. Instead, there is a complete overwhelming sense of being brought into union with God and my life is transformed and radiates peace and joy. I'm going to read that last part again. When I've really transacted business with God on the basis of his covenant, letting everything else go, there is no sense of personal achievement. There is no human ingredient at all. Instead, there is a complete, overwhelming sense of being brought into union with God, and my life is transformed and radiates peace and joy. Simmer on that for a second. When you really engage with God under his covenant, and we are under the new covenant, I'll get into that. We have no reason to brag. We have no reason to to take on honor. Now, that goes against our human nature. We have so much pride. We want to brag. We want to boast. We want to be prideful. And I'm not saying you shouldn't be proud of a hard work and a job well done. But pride and being proud of a job well done aren't the same thing. And when we truly understand that in God's mercy, we've been brought into a covenant, we will not take upon ourselves bragging rights. Now, flip that to another way of thinking about it. In God's mercy, we can't screw things up if we truly enter into covenant relationship with him and we, as Oswald Chambers says, do business on the basis of his covenant. God is reaching down to us. We are reaching up to him. We are reaching out for each other. And when he grabs a hold of us because we let him and we don't just keep our arms at our side and say, gimme, gimme, then we now see just this overwhelming freedom of not feeling obligated to do everything, to strive on our own constantly. Now, when he's talking about covenant, we're going to go into it. But we are under the new covenant, which is not just a physical, temporal covenant. It is an eternal covenant. And that is what brings peace. That is what helps you not strive so hard. Again, I'm not saying don't work hard. That is actually... God's will for us is to show ourselves approved, but we will not strive for anything of eternal value beyond the covenant of God, because that's been promised to us. He has to reach down to us for us to achieve what has been promised us in the new covenant. But we have to take steps of faith to reach out. So in the Bible, there are listed four major covenants in the Old Testament and one in the New now, some people will argue that there's additional covenants. Um, they often will point to creation and say that our relationship with humanity and, you know, animals in the earth, although that's actually after Noah, they, they'll they'll tag on these, what I call extra covenants, it's three other ones. So some people will say there's seven, a couple of people say there's nine. But if you're really tried and true to scripture, the only covenants officially initiated by God There's four in the Old Testament, one in the New, which comes through Jesus Christ. So the first covenant, and I'm just going to fly through these, but there is a point. The covenant with God and all of creation. So of course, people were in rebellion. They were so against God that God was like, in my words, needing a do-over of humanity. He came to Noah, told him to build the ark. He did, according to scripture, took him around 120 years to do that. People thought he was nuts. There had never been a flood before. There had never been rains the way we know rain. So then the rains came, flooded the whole earth. Noah and his family and the animals were preserved on the ark. Water goes away. Noah and his family are saved. And so God's plan to preserve Noah and the others on the ark in Genesis six eighteen is the beginning of that covenant it reaffirms his original plans, okay, which were interrupted by what? Judgment. This was judgment. God was giving the earth judgment. So God suspends the natural order, and he promises to never do that again. In Genesis 8, 21 through 22, Genesis 9, 11 through 15, those are the scripture references there. So he also gives a commandment to Noah. They emphasize, and then those commandments, which are found in Genesis 9, 4 through 6, they emphasize the value of human life in particular, and they underline the primary reasoning for this covenant, which is preserving life on earth without further divine interruption. We know that as the rainbow, right? The rainbow is what promises us that. Whenever we see the rainbow, we're reminded of God's promise. Now, don't get me wrong. There are some people who have stolen the rainbow. If you actually know, they haven't. They've left out some colors because they want to pervert God's promise, right? And they use God's promise so that you'll associate God's promise with something that is a perversion of God's divine plan, right? But again, if you really look at it, they're missing some colors there. But the actual rainbow, we're proud. That is God's promise that he, we are to preserve life on earth, that God is going to preserve life on earth, that there is a value in human life, and that God will no longer bring that sort of judgment on man which is such a good promise because when jesus came he came to fulfill that as well now keep in mind as i read these all of these covenants point to fulfillment in christ these covenants were given we screwed it all up every time every time we did something wrong and yet god kept his covenant with us and then he brought us a new covenant that we couldn't mess up because it had nothing to do with us striving right Now, again, each covenant is going to have sort of a set of rules. There's going to be a promise and stipulations attached to those. You can't just cash in without doing anything. You have to keep God's covenant, his commands, and he's going to honor that with his covenant. Okay, so the second covenant we want to jump into is known as the, well, it's Abraham's covenant, but it's the Abrahamic covenant It's a little bit tricky for me to say. I always want to make that sound very strange. So this kind of has a two part. And a lot of people say that there's kind of an extension on this covenant. But again, keep in mind, covenants are what? Covenants are promises between God and man. God keeps his promise. We're to keep our promise. So there's always some rules laid down. So in this promise, this covenant, he makes this with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And his promise is that he will bless Abraham in two ways. That Abraham will become a great nation and so have a great name because of that. And that through Abraham, God would mediate blessing to all peoples on the earth. So, so keep that in mind. When is that fulfilled? Well, it does happen in the Old Testament, even though the Israelites just keep messing it up. But it's fulfilled in Jesus Christ, right? So these two promises play a big part. There's also, you know, boundaries of this covenant. You know, there's known as the, quote, covenant of circumcision. There's an, he also talks about, God talks about in Genesis 17, an everlasting covenant. So keep that in mind. Also, I apologize, the reference there is Genesis 12, 1 through 3 for the Abrahamic covenant. So these two distinct covenants were established between God and Abraham. The first promise covenant guarantees that Abraham will be made into a great nation. The second covenant affirms God's promise to bless all nations through Abraham and his seed. And again, they talk a lot about a nation, a nation, a nation, and how that nation will bless other nations. Now we've got Moses, the Mosaic covenant. So the emancipation of God's descendants from oppression in a foreign land is the covenant that God makes with Moses. This is in Genesis 15. In order for God's treasured possession— His kingdom of priests, his holy nation, Israel must keep God's covenant by submitting to his requirements. Now, part of this covenant is, again, the rules that God lays down. In order for the Israelites to be God's treasured possession, his kingdom of priests, his holy nation, all of that is mentioned in Exodus then Israel has to keep God's covenant by submitting to its requirements. So this is part of the deal. Eventually, we're going to have the Ten Commandments come out of this covenant, right? But when they keep his requirements, when they submit to the requirements of the covenant, they will reflect God's holiness. It says in Leviticus 19.1, Israel will showcase its true theocracy, right? It's true honor to God and serve as God's witnesses to the watching world. The world is going to watch Israel and see how they honor God, or as we know how they don't honor God, and then what God does because of that. But regardless, they are to honor God's rules of covenant that will reflect his holiness, and his holiness will be witnessed throughout the earth, and they will then bless other nations. Four, number four here, the Davidic covenant, David's covenant. So this has a lot of scripture references that I'm going to fly through. Uh, 2 Samuel 7 is huge. (laughs) 1 Chronicles 17 also mirrors it. So Nathan comes, he's an oracle to David. Uh, David intends to build a house for God, but God promises to build a house or a destiny for David. Okay, 2 Samuel 7, 1 Chronicles 17. They don't necessarily talk about that as the covenant. However, many other texts do. 2 Samuel 23, 5, 2 Chronicles 7, 18, 2 Chronicles 13, 5, Psalms 89, 3, Jeremiah 33, 21. So, they, so even though when it's initially talked about, it's discussed between God and David that he's going to build a house, right, a destiny for David, it is not mentioned as a covenant until those later scriptures. So the David's covenant with God is what it's basically doing is it's continuing the Mosaic and the Abrahamic covenants. And he is talking about how God's plans for David and Israel are intertwined. They they are melded together. So the covenant introduces a subtle but significant shift here, right? We're gonna focus on something different. With the great nation promised to Abraham now firmly established in 2 Samuel 7:1, the attention starts talking about a royal offspring, Genesis seventeen six and 16. So this royal line that can be already traced back into Genesis. It culminates in an individual, a conquering seed who will fulfill the promise. And a hope is expressed in Psalm 72, 17. And that seed is not David, but will fall into the royal lineage of David, right? So David's covenant, again, is about a house being built. But that house is metaphorical. He is building royalty out of David And because of what will come out of David's seed, the world will change. And that is the covenant, the promise he made to David. Now we get to the covenant we are under. And yet it's important to understand those other four covenants because the new covenant fulfills them all. So for me to have just jumped to the new covenant and said, we live under the new covenant. It fulfilled the old covenants. Without fully understanding the old covenants, you won't see the power of the covenant that Christ brought, which far supersedes the other ones. But just like Paul says, don't say the old covenants are bad and the new covenant is good. It's just the new covenant fulfills all of the old ones and promises eternity with God. So it's it just supersedes them all. That's That's how God works. He keeps making these covenants with man, covenants with man, covenants with man. We keep messing it up, messing it up, messing it up. So what does he do? He's like, okay, no more, no more covenants where you are striving. Now you will be saved by grace, right? The old law says, strive, strive, strive. Again, you would honor God and keep his laws because you love him. And yet now we have grace. And when Christ ascends into heaven, we have a helper, the Holy Spirit. You have to keep in mind, the Old Testament folks did not have the Holy Spirit why did they make a bunch of rules? Thou shalt not kill. Thou thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not lust after your neighbor's wife. Thou shalt not. Thou shalt not. Why? Because they were more than happy to do that. Because they were like, wait a second, I can't just go kill someone because I'm mad? Nope. Nope, you can't. Notice he didn't kill Cain. Now that was mercy, I understand. But why did Cain, listen, when it says that, okay, I'm going to be a little, this does, this does tie in, but I'm going to be a little honest. When it says that Cain killed Abel, it's not like he whacked him over the head with a stick. It says that he struck him and he slaughtered him. Hello? Like you would an animal for a sacrifice. He he didn't. It's not good. Let's just put it that way. He slaughtered him. Abel, as far as we know, was the first murdered person. Cain did not just do an oops daisies I wish I hadn't punched my brother in the head and his head hit a rock. I've actually seen that on a movie. It makes me giggle. It says that Abel's blood cried out from the earth and that God came to Cain. Let's just say from what scripture describes that murder, it was vicious and yet God didn't kill him. But he did write a rule, thou shalt not kill. Why? Because even Cain who had to, who literally talked to God about it, lied. I mean, he lied, first of all, but like, I, wouldn't you have stopped after you saw your brother wasn't moving on the ground? He didn't have the Holy Spirit. So I don't know exactly what that means, but he wasn't in the presence of the Lord like we're allowed to be until God was literally present. So we can live with the Holy Spirit in conviction because of Jesus. That's what, oh, That's what makes the new covenant so amazing. It's so humbling if you think about it. So the new covenant, of course, is fulfilled through Jesus. The Old Testament actually talks about the new covenant in Jeremiah, specifically the phrase new covenant. However, Isaiah talks about it. There's uh, Jeremiah talks about it. Ezekiel talks about it. There are so many scripture references to this radical internalizing of the scriptures to uh, basically spiritual surgery, radical transformation, That's talked about in Jeremiah 31, 33. It's also talked about in Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27. Again, Isaiah talks about it in Isaiah 42, 6, 49, 8, 54, 10, 55, 3, 61, 8, on and on and on. This covenant is also talked about by Isaiah as incorporating foreigners and eunuchs. Yay. Uh, That's in Isaiah 56, 3. But also it's exclusive right it's it's it says it's it's confined to those who hold fast to quote hold fast to its obligations that's Isaiah 56 5 through 6 and it's also mentioned uh, 56 1 through 2 so we have it incorporates foreigners and eunuchs for the first time not just Israelites not just Jews so it's not surprising when Jesus comes that it talks about how this covenant that his coming declares that all of God's covenants are realized through one man. Okay, that's again Luke 1:54 through 55 and 69 through 75, 2 Corinthians 1 and 2. He is the long-awaited Messiah that's talked about in David's covenant. He's also the ultimate seed of Abraham, the royal offspring of David. He also fulfills the role of Isaiah's servant that Isaiah talks about a lot in, in Isaiah, and it talks about an Acts three eighteen, how you know Isaiah has this uh just a uh, ton of conversation about a servant that will come and what he will do that is he's talking about Jesus he redeems Israel but he's also extending God's blessing to an international community of faith so all of these covenants come true with God because human beings in all of their striving could never fulfill their end of the bargain. So he had to send Jesus literally to earth. He's not just reaching his hand from heaven anymore. He sends his son to earth. And now again we are reaching back out to him. We are accepting him into our lives. And we have so many more things than than the Jews in Israel ever had in the Old Testament. So the new covenant was ratified through Jesus's death on the cross. It was also represented in the Lord's Supper and Jesus alludes to both forgiveness linked by Jeremiah to the new covenant and the blood associated with the establishment of the old covenant, the Mosaic covenant. So according to the New Testament, so the New Testament emphasizes the forgiveness of sins that is only attainable under the new covenant. Let me say that again. The New Testament emphasizes the forgiveness of sins, which is only fully attainable under the new covenant. Let me give you a couple scriptures for that. Acts thirteen three, and Hebrews 10, 4. And it talks about this as the primary benefit of Jesus's death. Some scriptures for that are Luke 1, 7, 7, uh, 24, 46 through 47, Acts 2, 38, Acts 10, 43, Acts 13, 38, Acts 26, 18, Romans 3, 24 through 25, Ephesians 1 through 7, on and on and on. You guys, I could literally list 15 more. But Jesus came to fulfill the covenants and as a primary benefit of those covenants, we have forgiveness of sin through him when we repent. So we go from covenants that are good, but temporary to something better that is eternal. So while those new covenant realities are often looked at and they are already present, it is nevertheless true that the best is yet to come. The best is still yet to come. It went from good to way better and it will be going to great. So through Jesus, God's covenant promises for Israel and the nations have come to fruition. And the ultimate expression of God's creative and redemptive goals still await fulfillment in the reality of new creation, the new heavens, the new earth. But it's been promised to us. It's been promised to us. And since the new covenant, which we are under, will sustain us until that time, what are we doing on our end, so to speak, to reach out and do our part with faith? So let's be really frank here why did I set all this up? Here's why. Number one, I don't think we understand the power of the new covenant of Jesus Christ, nor do we appreciate it, I don't think, if we don't study what it fulfilled, what people used to have to grind out and live under. They didn't have the Holy Spirit. There was only one place to have the presence of the Lord, and that was in the temple. And if you were not holy and sanctified and ready to walk in there, you were dead. They attached a rope to your foot. You walked in there. If the presence of God, it, it, because of its holiness, you couldn't sustain the holiness of it. You died because of just how the glory of God is just so powerful. They yanked you out with that rope and they sent someone else in there. What a job, right? It's like one hand, it's an honor. On the other hand, you're like, I'm good. I'm good. I'll just... Hang out here, play my tambourine, march around a wall if you need me. You guys go in and might die because the holiness of God is so strong. It just permeates down (laughs) through you. And it's, it's again, it wasn't because God was killing people. It's because his glory is so, his holiness is just so beyond us that we can't reach it. We can't reach it. And he just had a list of things we needed to do to be purified, to be in front of him. But now we take for such granted the presence of the Lord. Let's be really frank. We can't even get off our cell phones and spend some time with God. But they would die to be in the presence of God. They were willing to die to experience the presence of God. And we are like, eh, I got a show. I got something to do. And yet we sit around and we say, hey, God, gimme, gimme, gimme. And then I'll believe in you. But, But that's not what he says. And I love how Oswald Chambers says when we actually transact business with God on the basis of his covenant, and we let everything else go, then there's no sense of personal achievement. We recognize that our humanity is so flawed that it took Jesus Christ dying on the cross, washing our sins away, carrying us through life to even remotely attain even an ounce of what he promises us. But here's the good news. If we desire to step into faith that that new covenant reality is for us, what would our lives look like? If we're reaching out in faith and we're saying, God, I'm not going to worry anymore. I'm not going to be bound by fear anymore. I know that not only have you saved me, rescued me, and you have taken care of my sins, you've redeemed me from the curse of the law, but I know that you've promised me goodness, mercy, the fruit of the spirit, access to heaven. So God, I'm going to reach out for that. And instead of me pulling my hand back and holding my hand out like a beggar on the street, and until something's in my hand, I will not feel like you've done anything for me. I'm going to do the opposite and I'm going to reach out to you. And in your promises, I'm going to tar- take, start taking steps of faith in my life. I'm going to reach out to you and I'm going to not only listen to what you have to say, but I'm going to trust that you have a plan for my life, that you are leading and guiding my steps, that you actually want to talk to me, that you want the Holy Spirit to guide my life that you have put talents in my life to be used for you. And then instead of me greedily using them for myself, or only seeing it as a way to get a good job, I'm going to say, no, these gifts have been put in here for your glory, for your glory to shine on the earth. See, we have to understand the covenant that Jesus fulfilled, not because he washed them away, but because they're fulfilled through him. And we, through Jesus Christ, can fulfill them on the earth. Part of that fulfillment is what? Being a blessing to other nations going out and finding people and bringing them into the kingdom of God, being promised that our seed will be blessed, that we will have an inheritance on the earth through our lineage, that we can build, quote, a house for God. See, Jesus fulfilled that. Now, he didn't fulfill it just for those men listed in the Old Testament. He fulfilled it for anyone who will follow him. But with every covenant, there is a transaction, so to speak. There are rules to this covenant. We can't live the life we just feel like living when we want, how we want, and think God doesn't have input. He didn't do away with the Ten Commandments. He didn't do away with expectation and a list of rules. A covenant is yes, a promise from God, but it is also a promise from us. It is him reaching down and us reaching back. So if we don't keep our end of the bargain, for lack of a better word, we will learn that he promises us something based on what we will also do. He has a list of expectation for this promise to be fulfilled. And if we don't actually do our part, there's no covenant there. We aren't under the covenant. We aren't keeping our end of the bargain. So I want to leave you with that thought. There's no faith exhibited by saying, I'll believe it when I see it. I'll start living for God when he blesses me. I'll start doing what he wants when he interrupts my life. I'll start doing it when. No, we start doing it now. We're under the covenant that Jesus fulfilled. So ladies, I want to extend this conversation, but I want that to sit with you today. How are you reaching out to him? How are you saying, I will live in faith. I will walk this out. I know this is what I have access to. And I'm going to reach out and I'm not going to worry, complain, and put expectations on God like he's a genie. But I'm going to do my end here. And by fulfilling my promise to God, that is me reaching my hand back out to him. And we are going to unite under this covenant that he created through Jesus Christ. Because covenants have boundaries and expectations for us. And then when those expectations are met, God keeps us safe in those boundaries. And he fulfills his promise for us. So I I, I just want to end here because I don't want to be long-winded on this. Again, I think we're going to boomerang back around to this. But I just want to remind you again that waiting for God to act is a sign of unbelief, meaning like we're not doing anything. Now, I'm not saying you're doing stuff and you're also waiting for God to show you what to do so that you want to really know what he wants. Which job do I take? But you take a step towards a new job, right? You're taking this step and you're moving out in faith, trusting that God is going to meet you there and asking him to be involved in those decisions. But to just sit around waiting for God to just bring you stuff on a tray, that is not faith. So again, I don't want to belabor this, so I'm just going to let that sit. So Let's pray. God, we want to be people of faith. We we see your hand reaching down to us through the New Testament scripture, through Jesus' life, through the Holy Spirit, through his death and resurrection, even through the Last Supper and his promises he makes there. We've been grafted in, most of us. Most of us listening are not in that original covenant of Abraham we're the outsiders, but you have grafted us in and and it is now fulfilled completely through Jesus Christ. So God, we reach our hand out literally. And we reach our life out to you and our decisions and what we do. And we don't sit still waiting for you like a genie to just grant our wishes, but we start walking in faith towards something. We invite you in. We say, God, what are your plans for my life? Why did you put these talents in my life? I'm going to walk in faith towards that. I'm going to walk in faith towards all the promises. God, I'm going to start engaging in the fruit of the spirit. When I talk to my family, my kids, I'm going to step into peace. I'm going to step into joy. I'm going to step into what you've promised me. And I'm going to just keep going under your grace instead of my striving for it. Thank you, God, for showing me, revealing to me, and just enlightening me on this covenant with Jesus Christ. Help me delve deeper into it and fully understand it. In Jesus' name, amen. Ladies, I hope if nothing else, this was a springboard for you to research. The resource I use for these covenants is outstanding. It's called The Biblical Covenants, and it's an essay by Paul R. Williamson. I assume the R is very important there. It's an essay that he wrote, it's just a fantastic resource. So I will list some of these scriptures underneath here for you to research, but I don't wanna take credit away from from his work. And I, I did hit the highlights, so to speak, but Paul R. Williamson goes into far more depth than I did today. And again, that Oswald Chambers, my utmost for his highest, I believe was from December 6th or December 8th. It's called My Rainbow in the Cloud. And he references Genesis 9.13. Okay, ladies. Very excited about this one. Have a great day.